Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. What are the hints and clues of who we become sprinkled throughout our lives? From his early years of wanting to know how things worked and taking apart his toys, to learning about business as a young child watching his father's entrepreneurial experiences, today's guest found inspiration in many places for his entrepreneurial journey. Farzad Rashidi is the lead innovator at Respana, the link-building outreach platform that helps businesses increase their organic traffic. In this conversation, Farzad shares several examples of how Respana works to create backlinks, establish credibility, and most importantly, build relationships. He also talks about humility as a leader, the difference between being an employee and leading a company, how an internal tool became a product for others, and Optimism's role in his exploration of future possibilities. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 714. Well, Farzad, welcome to Getting Work to Work. It is wonderful to talk with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Yeah. Well, I love to ask this question of everyone that I talk to, but what are you endlessly curious about? Mm, I mean, this is going make me sound like a total tech bro, but technology, I'd say, uh, since I was a little kid, uh, maybe I'm Middle Eastern, it's just like it baked into my blood, but <laughs> I've always been uh, curious and you know, opened up toys when I was a when I was a kid, anything that was battery powered and kind of see how it worked. And now, you know, with what I do is, you know, constantly dealing with new technology. Um, so I would say, yeah, that's, that's one thing. Yeah. What was there a toy or a device that you recall dismantling to see how it was made that just once you did it, you're like, wow. Oh, yes. I, I had a remote control car and uh, my, my dad got it for me for my birthday or something. And I think I played with it for like 20 minutes. And then uh, <laughs> I had this um, uh, I had this little screwdriver that I'd gotten from like one of the other cars apparently came with it. And so I opened up the car. Took out the little engine, like the the little motor. Yeah. And then I connected it to another battery and used it as a drill to drill into my parents' first apartment. <laughs> so they didn't get their security deposit back. But uh, <laughs> that's my dad still tells me about that those days. <laughs> Every oh, I time I talk to him. Right. <laughs> Did he send you a bill for the for the security? Uh, I'm, I'm sure he will at some point. <laughs> I love stories like that because so much of what we do as adults is, I mean, we see hints and clues all throughout our life. A hundred percent. Yes. Yes, indeed. So when you look back, you know, who inspired you to become a serial entrepreneur? Uh, well, my dad, I would say my parents, both of them were pretty entrepreneurial. Um, you know, my, my dad and mom grew up in like very middle-class, lower middle-class families and, and, you know, they all had regular nine to five jobs. And so when my dad, uh, he went to pharmacy school uh, in Iran and okay. oh, he wow. started his own business. And in the way the government works there is like you need certain points and to be able to sort of open up a drugstore in a big city. So we had to move to a smaller city and they rented out like this little dingy <laughs> store. 
and then over time grew grew with that and you know opened up a multiple branches and so you know I, and i was their first kid and they were very young at the time and poor so you know i was they were taking me with them all over the place uh, so all the negotiations going to the bank taking out loans since i was a little kid i was always you know exposed to uh, to that life and they ended up doing well for themselves so you know i guess i, I look at them as role models Oh, for sure. That's so interesting too, because to think about what you were exposed to as a child, like you mentioned negotiation and banking. And I mean, you think about running a cash register or <laughs> maybe doing some things there, but I, I love that idea that you saw negotiations and beyond just the day in, day out work. 100%. I mean, I didn't totally understand it at the time. Obviously, I was very little, but, uh, but you know, okay. just having looking back at it ret retrospectively uh it was quite interesting it's the experience most kids don't have so um so yeah that was that was i guess I, it's my first time actually thinking about it even so thank you for asking that question yeah oh that's interesting i, I like that too because it, it's like the whole take your kid to work day kind of <laughs> right we, we do and and every day right every day every day <laughs> was take for <laughs> to work day exactly it's so much about business too that you can't read in a book that, I mean, you can read best practices, you can read theories, but it's not until you experience it that you start to like put the pieces together of like, oh, that's what that is. Yeah. Yeah. And and not only that, it's just starting something new. It's, it's just night and day different. Like I was working at a SaaS company, which is a very niche and, and, and a small niche, working like at a small startup that you kind of get your hands dirty with everything and all that. And then until like we actually started on Respana, it was completely different experience. Like you can't even put it into words, like how different it was like joining a company as an employee versus starting something new. It's just, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, so like I said, until you do it, um, you don't really understand it. Did you have a moment before you started a company of like, I could totally do that better. They don't know what they're oh, doing. Yeah. I was very bullish. Definitely the whole experience of starting Respond has been very, very, uh, a very humbling experience to say the least. <laughs> I love the title lead innovator. What does right. it in the life of a lead innovator look like? <laughs> <laughs> I made it up myself, so thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh, perfect. Great. I think we should all make up our own titles. Right. Well, the thing is, you know, people always ask you, like, what do you do every day? And to be honest with you, like, not every two days is the same. Like, it, it's very difficult difficult for me to encapsulate, like, what I do. And and, and as a small company, uh, using terms like CEO, founder, stuff, and it just to me sounds very silly, right? It just means I'm CEO of XYZ. I'm like, are you, like, Uber? Or, like, what? <laughs> you know, when you... So, um I guess as a small startup, you always have to be kept on your toes. Uh, you know, the only competitive advantage you have is is pace. Mm -hmm. uh, other companies have more resources to have smarter people, but they can't move as quickly. And smaller team startups can move very quickly and, and innovate faster. Um, and that's what puts you on the map. So that's sort of what I, I was tasked with really starting companies is to come up with new things, uh, push them out to market quickly, get feedback, improve. So. I guess that that's sort of that's my role within the within the company. I like that too because very much so you get to set the pace for the team for the mm -hmm. people working with you and for yourself. Hundred percent. I mean, we are not even moving as quickly as we were last year. You know, as 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 the company is becoming uh, larger and like we're getting more customers, like 
before we used to roll out updates and watch to see what happens, you know, <laughs> like if something breaks, we'll fix it. Now there's like quality assurance uh, people with like, uh, there's, a, there's a whole round of like few rounds of testing and back and forth. And uh, obviously, you know, even as a small company, you sort of slow down the later stages of the journey. But uh, but yes, yeah, so it's, it's kind of interesting that we're, that we're experiencing these as, as we go along. What an interesting experience too of of when you're starting, you know, you can just push releases out and not worry about whether they're going to work or not, <laughs> you know, and you can just fix them. Right. But, but to slow down so that you can test and make sure things are right. Was that a hard challenge to overcome in terms of that that pace shift? Right. I mean, 100%. Well, the thing is, it happens quite organically. It's not something that's a conscious, a conscious decision, right? When you start special onboarding larger customers, like if something breaks, they're going to yell at you. And then once you get yelled at a few times, you know, you're going to stop <laughs> doing that. <laughs> it's just negative reinforcement, right? Uh, so you're like, okay, maybe we should test more before we release something now. And so it, it just happens quite organically. It's not something that's a conscious dis- decision on a day-to-day. Yeah. So one of the interesting things that I thought you could illuminate for me and the listeners is this concept that Respana is built on in terms of backlinks mm-hmm. right? and what they are and how they actually help with things like search engine optimization, content marketing, and even being found on the internet. 100%. So to, to answer your question... I can I can give you the long form answer to that and the short form answer to that. Which one would you prefer? You know what? Give me the long form answer. Okay. The year was 1998. I'm just ah, kidding. <laughs> You're hired. So, all right. Uh, so basically, when I when I joined Visme, you know, my job was to uh, so it was a very small startup that built a very cool product. And for folks, who, have you heard of his Visme? By the way, the the parent company. Um, so it's a it's a platform that lets businesses create any sort of visuals like presentations, reports, gra- uh, infographics, and whatnot. Um, so you can put in your brand guidelines and you can create branded content quickly. So it's a very cool concept, especially at the time when like a lot of these uh, tools were existing at the time. So they're like, hey, we're a team of engineers. We built this tool. Now uh, let's go sell it. And I'm like, okay, let's, <laughs> let's try to find a customer acquisition strategy. So... We try different things. Obviously, you know, there's paid ads, but we're bootstrapped, very hard to scale paid ads. Uh, we're receiving a positive ROI. Door to door selling, like cold average, doesn't really work well with our price point because at the time we were like $15 a month subscription. Like it doesn't make economic sense for us to hire salespeople go. Um, so we landed on, we we're like, okay, as a customer, how would you go about fun? So let's say, um, Chris, you want to create a an infographic for this podcast episode that we are recording. What's the first thing you do when it comes to uh, searching for an infographic software? Uh, I would say looking for some statistics or information that would populate the infographic. Right. So you would normally, what what's like the first website you pull up to go do some searching to find a solution uh, oh. to a, a, to create your infographic? Uh, it does not rhyme with Bing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Go Google it, right? So we're like, exactly. okay, what are some infographic templates or, yes. or yada, yada, yada. So we're like, okay, we know our customers are one, aware of the problem they're solving, and two, they're searching for it through Google. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, we're like, okay, let's instead of us spending or raising millions of dollars to become a household name, let's instead start showing up in places 
where people who are looking for us would organically find us. So we're like, great. So that's called SEO. Let's try to build some blog posts, write, you know, write some blog posts, build some landing pages, put it on a website, and guess what happened? People find you. And that's what we hoped was going to happen. Uh, what happened in reality was nothing. <laughs> it was absolutely crickets. It was like nobody coming to our website. We're like, what's happening? We spent all this time creating quality content, made sure our site loads fast and everything's responsive and all that stuff. But turns out when you go on Google, like for example, uh, can you do me a favor, Chris? Can you just go- uh, open a little incognito tab in your browser mm-hmm. and just look up presentation software, which is one of our key terms. I'm doing this with you. All right. And then at the very top, it shows you how many search results come up, right? Like about how many results in 0.4 seconds. One, how many zeros? Do you see? I see seven zeros. So one billion three hundred seventy million results. All right. 0.52 so, seconds. Gotcha. And then what do you see also in the first organic results? I'm not sure actually what, what you see in your... I'm scrolling for an hour. Uh, see, me. <laughs> There you go. So what happened was at the time. Sponsored ad. Nice. (laughs) So what happens though is we're like, okay, whatever we've done, there's a billion, over a billion other sites that are doing the same thing. They're looking for, or they have a content piece or a page on this website and a keyword. And even if you're in the top 1% in terms of quality of content, how will you want to define it? When there's a billion search results, even if you're in the top 1%, you're in still in the millions and mm-hmm. some millions. So how would you go about, how would Google decide on prioritizing these all these content pieces? Because there are so many websites out there. So it turns out the way Google became the main search engine, you're a young guy, Chris, you probably don't remember this, but late, late 90s, <laughs> there was Yahoo, AOL, Bing, Echo. all sorts of, yeah, exactly. All there's all sorts of these search engines. That I'm too young to remember, <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but but the way Google sort of um, blew all of them out of the water was basically by developing this algorithm called PageRank, which is still the core algorithm of Google still to this day, 20 years in, um, that basically not only looks at the content of the web page, but also looks at the credibility of that website and of that web page. Um, and the way to define credibility is by mention of popularity. So if other relevant authoritative sites in your space are talking about you, uh, this sends a signal to the search engines that, okay, this must be a popular resource. It must be a credible resource because other people are referencing it. So it's the same thing that academic journal articles, you know, are, are gauged based on how many people are citing it. So that becomes interesting. Uh, so you can't just go stuff keywords on your site anymore. Now you've got to convince other people to actually reference it and work with it. So as soon as they did that, the quality of the results of Google improved like radically. And, and over time, they've been obviously refined algorithm, et cetera, but the core is still the same. It runs on credibility. And so we're like, okay, great. Let's go get more credible, uh, become more credible. Right. <laughs> Turns out it's a little bit more difficult said than that. So we're like, all right, well, let's try to come up with different strategies. How are we going to uh, work with other websites, collaborate with them? And that process, though, was extremely really difficult, very time consuming, you know, finding the right websites, uh, finding the right people, getting the right contacts, reaching out to them with the right message. And um, all of those was sort of done manually, duct taping a bunch of different tools for years. And what we did was to put together the whole process that was working manually, put it together on the one roof internally, 
in a, in a sort of a internal software and it was sort of a secret sauce for a year and a half it just worked ridiculously well it like 10x that productivity and uh, I, I just fetched a number out of thin air i don't know exactly what the productivity was but uh <laughs> it was just something that we we're like we've got to put this out there like it's just so obvious at the time so um and, and the rest is fisher so that's kind of sort of how respond came to be as a as a standalone product and and yeah hopefully so that was the that was the i, I covered your question correct yeah well it, it's it's interesting too that you create this internal tool to help you do your work better but at what point do you think i think this would be great a great product for other people too well we knew that i mean uh, to be honest with you at the time and uh, that initially if this was something that were to work for us there's so many other companies that rely on seo that this would be a game changer mm-hmm. um so we started with um we were like this could definitely be something that that could be a standalone product because it was so different from bizme that wasn't making making sense for us to add that on to the, an existing product so the decision we made was like hey let let it be its own thing so it doesn't also distract uh other team members bizme right because they're they're we already have a successful product let them handle it so I basically started a separate team, separate entity, separate company, separate everything, and 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 sort of started working on uh, that project, and it, and we got some proof of concept. Started people started paying for it. We we're like, oh my god, this is not even ready yet, and <laughs> uh, and we're like, this is awesome. So and and then we decided to sort of mess more, and and yeah, that's sort of how it happened. So it wasn't yeah. more of a you know a click it wasn't a decision from the get-go uh, to to have it as a separate product it just made sense as we sort of developed the software a little bit more yeah you mentioned earlier that once you started your own team your own business you learned a lot of things what were some of those initial challenges of spinning off the separate company and creating this product well first of all i was thinking that we, we're going to get the product out in six months um that's what we did but there's nowhere near where i wanted it to be i still know we're close to where i wanted to go um and it's just it turns out it's a common phenomenon most founders aren't happy with the pace that are going um but but it, it was just a matter of time like i just didn't know didn't understand the scope of work it takes to put together software products ready for commercial use uh, can handle support, uh, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of customers. Um, uh, be able to uh, make it easy to understand and and work and onboard, and um, it, it's just insanely difficult uh, as far as putting it together, especially in our space because link building itself is is it just means building relationships. Like it doesn't mean anything. It's not one simple function. There's so many different things. That you have to do all together at once for it to make the whole process work and for each one of them there are separate software companies that are billions of dollars that just focus on those one things right and for us the whole value prop is that hey let us all bring the whole process on there together so that's what um made that that uh, made it a very difficult engineering problem uh to to solve and and uh, i think we've been rather successful with that so far but they i did not understand the scope of the work at the beginning at all and we underestimated everything i'm glad that you're honest with that too because sometimes i would imagine the desire to be like yeah yeah i i see all i know all and and i'm glad that you still have a sense of humility as a as a leader of what 
you what you imagine and what is reality yeah 100 i mean if you asked me at the beginning before we started this i'd be like yeah we, we know everything and we're <laughs> gonna kick some ass and <laughs> you ask me three four years later it's a different story but uh but you know i think we've done a pretty decent job um you know looking back i think we've definitely made some mistakes uh but we met we made a lot more good decisions than bad decisions and that to me is is uh is a good measure for success so um yeah i mean that that's sort of the journey yeah part I, of it i love that you mentioned too relationship building not just link building and i'm and i'm immediately my mind is just kind of spinning a little bit going how does software build relationships that's that's interesting right yeah 100 it is by opening conversations right um like i can give you an example that'd be Oops. helpful yeah so and we're getting the link from your website right now as we speak okay <laughs> <laughs> you see what i did there so yeah. basically and it's not to say that's the only reason why I'm here. Obviously, main reason why I prioritize uh, podcast interviews um, is for me to meet smart people in our industry like yourself, uh, you know, uh, building these connections and also at the same time, get some exposure to the audience, right? Uh, while we are helping you to put together this episode. Mm -hmm. uh, and also, by, uh, I would say, byproduct of that is is you mentioning Respana on your website and in the show notes and, and then advocating for our tool. So there's a myriad of benefits and it's a mutually beneficial collaboration, right? Nobody's getting ripped off. You know, we, 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 we do this, uh, spend the time, help you promote the episode, create an episode, spend, and then you do the same for us. And that's the type of collaboration response advocates is, is basically what other relevant publications and, and outlets in your space um, uh, are relevant to you that, to, that you can reach out to the right person, open up conversations. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's a human connection that you have to make and, and take it over at, at some point. Uh, so what the software does is put it together the pieces of the puzzle together so that you don't have to manually go through and find. So, for example, the way our team found your episode or found your podcast is by looking at one of the other founders in our space, Jurian. Um, and basically, a responder goes and finds, okay, where, where's Jurian has been a guest on? And then they found your podcast. So our team looked at it and they're like, okay, this is a podcast that I think founders that could add some value. So I responded, got your content information, uh, and then reached out to you and said, Hey, you know, I loved your episode with Jurian. And would you be open to an introduction to PowerSide? And so as soon as you respond back, gets exited from the tool, comes into our team members uh, inbox, and then we take it over from there. So they made us uh, the introduction and, and we took it over from there. So now this is just one example, right? Out of a few dozen different ways on how you can go about this. Right. Uh, but but it's all about relationships uh, when it comes to outreach and promotion. And I, the same thing goes for PR outreach. Same thing goes for any sort of uh, other types of outreach that we do. That's fascinating. I, I, it's, it's interesting to hear that case study of how you can find people based upon other people. Um. And and then build that data that allows you to then reach out and start those conversations. Because normally it's like if you don't have a tool like that, it's all manual labor of like hoping that you're going to get good results. You're waiting through billions of results at times. That's that's really cool. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that.
Yeah. yeah. Podcast is not a scalable strategy. It was just an example because just yeah. because I'm here. So right. might as well bring it up. But there's other ways, like, for example, give me any product. It could be a commerce product, could be a SaaS product. Just name me one product. We can go through another example if you like. Uh, Slack. Okay, Slack. So one of the things that we would do, for example, um, obviously Slack probably is already mentioned and they're probably a, a huge corporation that don't care about it. They probably care more about PR and getting more uh, journalists. But let's, let's just imagine that you're a smaller company and they're trying to compete against Microsoft Teams. There's a bunch of other products out there. Uh, so one of the things that Respondent can help them with is uh, looking at all the blog posts that are writing, hey, what are some of the Microsoft team alternatives? Mm-hmm. Or any mentions of Microsoft Teams on other blog posts and other articles are uh, that are that are constantly getting published, um, and then it will go and finds the right person in charge of content or editorial or the author of this content piece. It finds you that that LinkedIn address and the email address of those right people, and then puts together a personalized email, and then you can reach out to them and say, "Hey, you know, those you guys are talking to or listed Microsoft Teams here. It seems like you missed Slack on this page." Um, and, and it would love to get you access on the house if you were kind to give us a mention here, uh, or for example, any mentions of Slack that are not linked to your website. So responder helps you find all the unlinked mentions, uh, of Slack and say, Hey, I noticed you guys talked about Slack here. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Before I shared on our sh- social, I was wondering if you don't mind making this clickable to Slack. So for your visitors who would like to learn about us, they can hear about it or learn more about it. Yeah. Um, so numerous ways. Yeah. But they all go through the same flow. And that's what we call a campaign responder, which you find the right outlets, find the right websites they want to contact. It finds you the right people in charge, depending on the strategy. And then you put together an email template and personalize those emails. Oh, that's so fascinating. Huh. Thanks for sharing those examples. I like, I like what I'm hearing too, because it, it sounds like with my limited brain power here, it sounds like it's almost like even like a CRM tool at some point that allows you to build contact information. And I don't know, it's, it, it's a little, yeah. sounds like it's a lot of things, but. <laughs> yeah, actually we have a tab called the relationships tab. Yeah. So that's like your CRM. So any contacts uh, that we have that have responded and engage with our mm-hmm. messages and that they end up there and all the conversation history and stuff is tracked or tagged, all that good stuff. So you can re- refer back to them. So let's say next year um, we hit a milestone with Respana or uh, let's say we hit a million users and want to go back on the podcast channels that have been a guest on already. So we can just click one and then select all the people that all the podcasts that are marked as success and then reach out to Chris and say, hey, Chris, you know, it's been a long time <laughs> since <laughs> last time we chatted. How about we set up another uh, interview and talk about X, Y, and Z and that I think would be interesting for your audience. Huh. And, and so, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. I can see the the business case for for that easily. Wow. Interesting. So you yeah, mentioned, even- you've mentioned going on podcasts a couple of times. Uh-huh. And I, I recall seeing a blog post that you wrote about how you went on, I think, 52 podcasts last year and right. how you went about doing that. And I loved how you said how you did it but also used responda like what was what was one thing that you learned through that journey that you want to share with people right now in terms of going on podcasts uh but not everything is measurable like most of the time when i talk about going on podcasts a lot of 
founders asking us the first question asking they're like hey was it worth it yeah. <laughs> and i'm like what do you define as worth it like <laughs> are you are you you know if you go on google analytics and like take a look at our referrals from podcasts is zero uh but i personally done demos with customers who've heard about us on a podcast and that even is an important uh, for me what's more important is that you've heard of respond now you're the person who talks to people in our industry all the time and you're an influencer and um and and just the fact that you've heard of our brand uh <laughs> you know in, in that seven touch points in marketing that, that's one of those touch points that to me is is well worth the time uh and the relationships that we built with these podcast hosts um, um so what i'm trying to say is like a lot of marketers try to nickel and dime every single strategy and 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 have a clear ROI, which I understand for some companies that makes sense. You know, obviously, if you have a larger company uh, with more structure, can't afford to spend time on things that you, you can't easily measure. But that's just one one thing that I was like, not you don't have to measure everything. Uh, <laughs> some things that make sense, you should probably keep doing that. I love that example a lot because I think for creative people in general, I I think it's hard to to wrap our minds around scaling our message, but we totally understand this idea of one-on-one -on -one and right. how that can scale over time just through organic momentum. 100%. As long as it's the right places, though. Not like we want to go on like a plumbing uh, <laughs> and talk about, right. <laughs> talk about our work on a plumbing podcast. Got to be relevant. Yes. So other than, you know, podcasts, what are some other strategies that you've used to get the word out and begin to acquire customers? I could keep on going on and on until tomorrow. Like, for example, one of the most successful strategies for brain is like the listicle strategy that we actually put on a reoccurring basis, uh, which any articles that come out that are talking about what best SEO tools or um, best uh, link building tools or best average tools, and they haven't mentioned us. Um, respond automatically monitors them and, and reaches out and says, Hey, uh, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> yeah. So is it, uh, does it, is it an automated response? So the, the flow is automated. So, but, but there's human supervision. It's not something that it just runs on its own because we obviously want to have, um, a human take a look at things and make sure that everything's good to go, which over time is going to be fully automated anyway, because of AI and the, the, right. the stuff that we're working on at this point. But, um, but basically having found these new articles that are getting published right out of the oven, uh, plus finding the right people, getting the right contacts and putting together the template. Now the human reviews it, adds a little sprinkle of manual personalization, maybe sends them a connection request on LinkedIn, and it sets it live. So now the sending actions and the follow-ups again get automated. So a lot of the dirty work, um, like work, uh, mm -hmm. is, is fully automated, but there is still human involvement in it. So that sounds human and personable. It's not something that's a completely auto-generated message. Yeah. It's interesting that you mention AI too, because that's the hot topic right now in, in the world and you know i'm curious what impact ai will have on search in the near and distant future yeah absolutely it's funny you mentioned this because i just got an email from our customer and it's like hey how do we how are we going to use gpt4 inside respana <laughs> um like literally 10 minutes ago but uh anyway so as far as uh 
AI goes, I think it's definitely going to change the way we do work as we know it. Uh, I know it sounds very tech bro uh, but I think we're we're at the medieval ages of AI, still not nowhere near uh, where it needs to go uh, or where, where it's heading. <laughs> and as far as our jobs go, there's definitely uh, quite a lot of uh, changes that are ahead of us and companies that roll with it are going to survive. And the ones that don't, it's get antiquated, similar to what happened with the internet or all the other major innovations like electricity, right? <laughs> it's, it's a new age that we're, and it's quite fascinating to kind of see because we were, we were at the generation of sort of at the tail end of the, like the internet revolution. Now all companies are digitalized, right? Now the same thing is going to happen with AI sooner than you can think, uh, sooner than you can uh, believe it. Uh, cause it's something that, uh, just blew up. <laughs> a lot quicker than anything else we've witnessed in the past and um and, and i'm actually quite excited and a lot of people just take the negative aspects of it and they're like oh we're all gonna lose our jobs and like i'm like if you if, if a computer can do a better job than you, you probably shouldn't be doing that job there are probably other things that a human can do that, <laughs> that is more uh, productive right like for example um you know, we, we don't have secretaries anymore to type letters, right, on a typewriter. Yeah, because it's it's a waste of time. So a lot of jobs now are going to be a waste of time. So maybe, you know, uh, there, there are other ways. It's, it's going to get redistributed. Obviously, there's a temporary period where we're going to lose jobs and, and it's going to suck. But then over time, um, humans always figure out ways to make themselves useful. So that's something that's just capitalism, free market that's going to decide uh, what direction that's going to go. But that's sort of my opinion. Obviously, it's not facts. It's all my personal opinions to take it with a grain of salt. But that's sort of where I'm at. It's really interesting, too, when you wrap your mind around how it gets integrated into tools, how AI gets integrated into tools, too, because it's not just it's not just lo logging into an open AI website. It's also how how will Google integrate it into the actual search mechanisms itself? Or even how you're going to integrate it, like your customer asked, how are you going to integrate it into your tool? And I think when we can start seeing that connection to our processes, I think that's where we start seeing a positive shift as opposed to a negative shift. 100%. Absolutely. And I think it's still in baby stages, right? right. Very, very limited in terms of its capability and what it can do. But what's very promising is the rate that's evolving, right? So compared to last year and, and where we are now, and I think it's going to continue along for quite some time, uh, where we'll be able to make complex decisions, some things that are unprecedented because computers weren't able to generate new information. Uh, now they can. They can make art. They can make music. They can make images, movies, videos, uh, text, right? And um, and and I think as the competing power also increases over time, like we, especially with quantum computing, all that good stuff, then it's going to be able to do things that are truly spectacular. And, you know, um, and it's something we couldn't imagine before. And now we can finally get some answers to, hey, how are we in this universe alone? Like, how, what's up with that? Or get some <laughs> answers to some questions, maybe make some drugs uh, that cures cancer. And, and obviously that, uh, that's obviously a very uh, overtly positive view. But I, I, I'm quite an optimistic person, so I like to believe that's true. <laughs> I mean, there's certainly a power of optimism that that is necessary, especially when it seems like media and 
the world tends toward the pessimists and the cynics. So I'm glad there's people like you out there that's spreading that optimism because it creates a space where people can explore and try things without fear of what's ultimately going to happen. 100%. I mean, it, that, and that's in human nature for us to be afraid of new things. It's just an evolutionary trait, right? When we develop fire, we're scared of it. Like, oh, it's hot. It burns stuff. Like, <laughs> I can't put my finger in it. Like, it's it's uncomfortable. But, you know, once you get a hang of how to use it and utilize it and control it for good, then <laughs> it's life-changing, right? Yeah. Uh, same goes for electricity. Just imagine how much criticism Thomas Edison was facing when it comes to like picking just AC and DC, like people were freaking out. They're like, this is going to burn all our houses down and it's going to ruin our lives. And uh, we're not going to be able to make babies anymore because there's electricity nearby. <laughs> um, you know, when they were so when they developed social security, <laughs> anyway, I could keep on going on and on. When you look at history, every new major innovation uh, had mass like fear and mm -hmm. And it's just part of being a human and it's, and it's uncomfortable, but um, over time, people come around like yeah. they always have. As a lead innovator, where do you draw inspiration from in terms of future ideas and that future-focused optimism? Um, I would say it's a combination of two things. It's a combination of um, observing and talking to our customers and and, and sort of looking at seeing how they're utilizing Respana and but not only just relying on that but also I have a vision for the product myself and it, which gets shifted obviously all the time and I don't think that either one in isolation is good for for the company because you know they always say if you had asked people what they wanted they would have said a faster horse right <laughs> right um but also if you had made the car extremely difficult to use and you didn't know how people or, or you made the car in a way that was not something that would require you, you know, years of training or something to be probably wouldn't have uh, gotten as much um, basically uh, usage as it, as it does now. So it's a combination. you got to have a vision. you got to believe in, in the direction you're heading, uh, but you make adjustments and improvements along the way based on what the market wants and needs. Uh, so I, I guess that that that's those are sort of the two forces that are sort of sometimes contradicting each other uh, that that sort of drive uh, what, what direction we're heading. I like that. Well, Farzad, as we wrap up our time together, what wisdom? I mean, you've shared so much wisdom, but what final bit of wisdom would you like to leave with the audience? I would say it's going to sound extremely cheesy, but patience. You know, it's something that I've always had struggles with. Like we will very trained towards like you know constant like slight like small doses of dopamine and uh, like that's what we like getting likes on social media or like we, we like immediate effects and we that's what we like sugar um and, and it's it's a constant battle and same applies to businesses it's, it's doing stuff for the long run that you may not necessarily immediately get uh some benefit out of but um but in the long run, pays off, and and a lot of what we do is the same. Uh, it, it's, it's for strategies for the long run, and so developing that sort of sense of patience is something that I had to sort of mature into. Because uh, you know, when 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 you're a young business man in business, it, it's always a hey, how can I do things quickly, move things forward, which is great, 
But uh, at the same time, you have to understand sometimes that means sacrificing good things that that are good for the long run. So uh, balancing that is very important. That's one thing that, you know, making hasty decisions and whatnot is, is always backfired. So yeah, that's all I can say. Love it. Well, final question for you. What book, podcast, or resource is blowing your mind right now? Oh, uh, Lex Fridman's podcast. I mean, I'm sorry. Obviously, Chris's podcast. <laughs> But uh, but he has some very interesting guests. Like I listened to his interview with uh, Zuckerberg, with uh, Elon Musk. Uh, now I was just listening this morning on the way to work. Uh, the Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, very interesting people, and uh, he asked very thought-provoking questions, um, which are quite interesting, especially nowadays in the age of AI. Since he's a research scientist at, at MIT, and so um, so yeah, I'd recommend you guys take a look. If you haven't uh, listened to his episodes yet. I hope you found this conversation with Farzad as interesting as I did. As someone who tends toward pessimism, it's refreshing to hear from an optimist about how they see the world and the tools they are building. It helps me to definitely think about how I can have a more open mind and take time to explore the possibilities without becoming chicken little. What about you? How will you bring a sense of optimism to your work if you're like me and struggle with pessimism? Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.